Well, good evening, everyone. Hope you are all doing wonderful on this uh, fall fall day and uh, just uh, enjoying the, the weather and just uh, having a great time. We are starting a new series uh, today, and it's called Judges, and we called it that because we're going through the book of Judges. Yes, yes, a very creative of us. And uh, Judges, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, but it's a bizarre book. It, it, it has bizarre people in it, uh, bizarre things happen. Uh, uh, a, a lot of things happen in it that it, with our 21st uh, century sensibilities that we cringe at. And uh, it's a unique time in the, in the history of, of Israel. And, and I think it's important for us to remember that the Bible is the story of God and his interaction with people. And God has a history of meeting people where they're at and, and interacting with them in, in, in a language and a comprehension that, that makes sense to them and, and building them and, and, and building their knowledge. Uh, an understanding of of Jesus and and of who God is, and I think many times if you if you think about it, you know our parents or or uh, caregivers or things like that, how they responded to us as as infants and as toddlers and as elementary kids and junior high kids and you know up and up and up, it, it was different than how they uh, respond to us now as adults. My relationship with my parents is very different, vastly different than it was when I was younger. And so as we're, we're going through uh, this book, you're, we're going to be challenged by some different, different things. In fact, uh, different pastor friends that have heard that we're starting this series, they're like, ooh, you know, how are you going to handle that? And, and uh, you know what? I'm just gonna. We're just gonna go, and we're gonna dig into the Word of God. And and uh, one thing that I do know is is God tells us that all Scripture, Old Testament and New, all, all Scripture is is useful for for teaching and instructing us, and and these kind of different things. So uh, we're gonna jump into this, and we're. We're going to try to remember that, hey, we're in a specific culture, in a specific time, that we are all very blessed living in a very uh, uh, secure world. And you might be like, what do you mean? You know, there's war and there's terrorism. You know, the, the reality of our lives is very secure. I mean, we, none of us are, are really thinking or fearful that an invading army is going to run in here right now and things, and things like that, that, that our, our personal threat level, even though our country is, has a high threat level right now, our personal threat level is quite low. And that's not the case here in 3,000 years ago, that uh, this is a time period where Israel had just entered into the promised land, and, and Judges actually starts out saying, uh, after Joshua died, you know, Joshua, the guy who brought them in. So they're sitting here in the promised land. They have enemies all around them. They have enemies in the midst of them. You know, anything can go sideways at any time. They have no leadership. And this is the time period between then and before they uh, Saul, or excuse me, uh, Samuel anoints the first king 
who is Saul. And this is a time period about 200 to maybe 350 years where where Israel was just kind of out there and and they're they're trying to make their way in the world and and a lot of times they they are meant to and the plan is them to have uh, devotion to God but just like us that that they would they would fall away from from God and w- they would be lured by different things and when that happened that God's protection was gone and and God would bring them back through a whole bunch of different ways and what would happen throughout the book of Judges is God would raise up a person a man or a woman to kind of stand in the gap and say hey guys remember how great our God is and a lot of times these these uh these judges you know, they're, they're not saints by any stretch of the imagination. You have an assassin. You have, uh, you have one person who is sexually uh, promiscuous. You have one person who is socially awkward and, and, and just, you know, just blows all the kind of laws or rules of hospitality. You know, these, these are flawed human beings. But, uh, but God uses them to bring redemption and to bring his people back to Israel. So we're going to be going uh, uh, not word by word through the book of Judges, but we're going to look at several different narratives uh, through the book of Judges and, and really kind of dive in and see what God has to tell us about, about you know, this time period and what does it mean for us in this time period. So if you turn to your Bibles in Judges chapter 3, and we're going to talk about a judge today of the name of Ehud. Now, he's, a, he's an interesting guy, and uh, he, had, he had some interesting qualities about them that uniquely qualified him for being Israel's judge. And the story or the narrative begins like this, says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Amorites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So what was going on here was... Israelites had once again turned away from God, that they were trying to do uh, life basically on their own power, doing whatever they really felt like doing, and, and God allowed Eglon, this invading army, to, to come in. And when he became the king of, uh, over Israel, that he, he put these exorbitant taxes and tributes on them, and really kind of enslaved them, and they're under the oppression of, of this, you know, this brutal king. And then in verse 15, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save him, them. His name was Ehud, the son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, it's kind of interesting that sentence gives us a clue of what's going on here. You know, you have, have this guy named Ehud, and then it tells us that he's a left-handed man. Well, who cares, right? 
You know, why, why is that important? And a lot of times when you're reading the Bible and something that doesn't seem important, you have to stop and say, why is that in there? Because it's just not words. I mean, there's a reason that that's in here. And, and the reality is that left-handed people, that uh, they've had a, a pretty interesting history. How many people here are left-handed? All right. They proudly are, are raising, raising their hand that there's about 10%, 7 to 10% of the population are left-handed. And, and throughout history, uh, they're, they're have been, they've vacillated society or culturally from maybe mistrust of them, like left-handed dealings. To, to uh, in some cultural periods and cultural time, they thought left-handed people were demon-possessed. Did you know that? Uh, that uh, in, the, in, in the early 20th century, left-handed people were, were so mistrusted that, that parents would try to make their left-handed children right-handed. In fact, this happened to my mom. And uh, whenever she tried to use her left hand, that uh, my booba, my, my grandmother, would, would slap her left hand or, 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 or hit it with something so that she would always use her right hand. Now, the interesting thing here is that Ehud is, is a left-handed man, and culturally that means so many different things uh, in, that, in that time period, that, that using your left hand in the ancient Near East was, was really, really taboo, that you were meant to eat with your right hand, and left, your left hand was, was relegated to doing all sorts of kind of nasty, nasty things. In fact, that, that culturally still is prevalent in the ancient Near East and also in Africa. When I was in Africa, I did an exchange, a, a monetary exchange with somebody, and I had my interpreter with me, and I gave him some money with a uh, left hand. And, and, like, I had no idea what I had just done, but this was a huge, huge insult offering anything with with your left hand it, it was a sign of disrespect and and dishonesty and and all of these things and after we you know unraveled all that you know I, I told my interpreter I appreciated him so much for letting me know beforehand that 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 was a cultural faux pas but but it but it all worked out now in in 3000 years ago you know a, a left-handed person that that Everything was was set up uh, and culturally for the right-handed person, from weaponry to warfare to all of these kinds of different things. And Ehud, by being a left-handed person, was was really relegated as kind of like someone who was worthless and and not part of the norm, not part of of the chosen. You know, you kind of imagine Ehud as a as a little kid and. You know, he, he wanted to hang out with people and, and maybe like the parents were like, no, don't hang out with Ehud, you know, he's a, he's a lefty or something like that. Like, you know, and like I can imagine they're all out playing like the ancient Near East equivalent of kickball or tag or something and, and he wanted to play and they're, they're shunning him and I'm sure they didn't allow him to play in any of the reindeer games. I mean, this was a hard little grow up life for poor little Ehud but but 
obviously there's something going on here that is important. There's something unique about this guy, and, and, and his uniqueness is his left hand. So, Ehud, so he was chosen to deliver the Israelites. Verse 16, so Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. I'm just, just reading the story. After delivering the payment, Ehud start, started home with those who had helped carry the tribute, the taxes. But Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal and turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. Really? So the king commanded his servants, be quiet. He and he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Eglon said, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. I love this next part. The dagger went so deep that the handle dis- disappeared beneath the king's fat, so that Ehud, so Ehud did not pull the dagger out, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. That's gross, huh? I, I just flat out say, I mean, that's that's gross. You know what the best thing about this story is? I can talk about all these things in church and not get in trouble because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Verse 24, after Ehud was gone, the king's servant returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. Hence the title, he must be having tummy problems, by the way. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. When the servants, while the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Shira. When he arrived to the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me. He said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossing of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. And it's quite a story. And the end, probably the biggest thing that jumped out to me was that God called up this deliverer who, who had a characteristic that was abnormal in the sight of that culture to the point of disdain, but that very characteristic 
enabled him to be used by God to be the deliverer. So you might be saying, well, how did, how did that work? How did, how did being left-handed make, make that all work? Well, culturally, left-handed people were not warriors. That, that they weren't let into uh, the army, that they didn't make the weapons for them and, and all these kinds of things. And so what would happen is if you were culturally, what, what right-handed people would do is they would put their swords on their left leg and they were made for a right-handed person and you would draw your sword like this. And I... I come from the text, say, uh, the, the idea that obviously when Ehud was going in, that they would feel your left leg before you went into the, the presence of royalty to see if you were packing. I don't know why they didn't check the right leg. If I was king, I would say check both legs. But that was not the cultural norm for there, that they would only check the left leg. And because of that, Ehud was able to walk in because he was a left-handed and have it strapped to his right leg. And because of that, he was able to gain entrance with the king and be able to assassinate, essentially, assassinate this oppressor of Israel and, and allow them to uh, be delivered from their captivity and once again have have peace for another 80 years before they turned away from God once again. And if you think about that, and you think about this, this characteristic that, that wasn't socially accepted, and it definitely wasn't, wasn't a, a positive, that God was meant to use that. And it reminds me of different scripture in, in the Bible, that Scripture tells us that you are wonderfully and beautifully made. Scripture also says that, that, you know what, you are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus. To do the things that he has planned for you long ago. God also tells us in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, God has given each of you gifts from, your great, from a great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. You know, I think about these scriptures, you're beautifully and wonderfully made, that you are God's masterpiece, that you've been entrusted with these spiritual gifts. And you know what the problem with those scriptures are? You just really kind of just tear it away and you just say, you know what, we're just going to be honest right now. We don't believe them. We just flat out do not believe God. We don't believe that we are wonderful and beautifully made we don't believe that we are god's masterpieces we don't believe that we've been given special gifts that we don't believe that god can use our left hand we we instead of of believing or believing god in his timeless word and him giving this message we we choose to believe cosmo and all of these you know all these other things saying you know what if you do this 
you will be accepted. If you do that or if you take this, you will be beautiful, that you will be part of, of, of a culture or you'll be part of something bigger yourself. We, we look at the beer ads and for some reason, if, you know, if I drink, you know, Coors Light that I'm going to have thick hair and, and, and dance all cool and, and, you know, all of this kind of stuff or, or if I take this pill, I mean, seriously, this week I saw that there was an ad for a pill that if I take it, I'll become so flexible, I will be like the envy of everyone in yoga class. I mean, really? I, I mean, this is a pill that, that we're, we're meant to take, and we are bombarded by these, these, this message that, you know what? Your uniqueness is not special, and what you need to do is be more like us. And when we fall into this, that we are spitting in the face of our Creator who knit us together in our mother's womb. That God, the very things that make you unique are the very things that God has entrusted to you. What did he say? What did he say here? Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. And I, I wonder, as Ehud was a, was a little kid and he was being shunned because of his left-handedness, they ever dreamed that he was going to be the deliverer of his peop- of a people, of his people. In my own story, I can't speak for Ehud, but I can speak for my own story. I remember in first grade that uh, I had a thing that that people know what it is now, but we didn't know what it was back then before they created the wheel and everything i had something called dyslexia but all i knew as a first grader was that i just didn't read well and kids made fun of me and they called me stupid a little bit older I, I uh, discovered that I had depression and anxiety. You've been here any length of time. This is not a secret or anything new. And to be honest with you, sometimes in my darkest times, in my, in my quietest times, not all the time, but, but, but sometimes I, I cry out to God and I say, God, wouldn't it be a better plan if you took away my anxiety, if you took away my depression, that, that you know, you, I, could, I could read and not mix up words? Wouldn't it be a better testimony 
to you if I had a full head of hair and, and all these kind of things. Like, why doesn't that happen when you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> you know what the answer to that is? You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Jesus Christ to do the things that he has planned for you long ago. And you know what's magical, and I know that's not a cool Christian word, what's what is, what is just so just amazing, a miracle, is when we can finally look at our uniqueness, the things that make us us, the experiences in our, our adverse life, to our pain, to those different kinds of things, and we finally say, you know what? God, I believe you. I don't believe the multi-billion dollar ad campaigns trying to sell me something. I believe you that I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I believe you that I am a masterpiece and that if I have these things, if I'm left-handed, then use my left hand and I'm just not going to hide it anymore and I'm not going to be ashamed. And when I finally came to that point, I was able to see how these different adversities, things that have, have caused me a lot of pain and hurt in, in my life, that I've been able to see that, you know what? Being dyslexic and, and made me rely on verbal communication a lot more than I would have ever done if I, could, if I was, was a really good reader and, and writer and things like that. I think that those, those times in first grade where I w God was refining me, that I couldn't see that I was going to be a communicator of His Word back then. But that's what He was doing in my life. You know what, when I... I my feelings would be rushing and, and, and my life and my thought life was all out of control and, and life just felt like a wet blanket over me and I just, I just wanted to scream and get out of my skin. I didn't know the hundreds of people who had been disdained by the church who dealt with the same kinds of things that that the church had made them the people with anxiety and depression the the left-handed people of of 3000 years ago and those very things that were different about me given into the hands of God he has brought redemption to others. You know, there's a verse that says that God's power is perfected in your weakness. 
God's power is perfected in your weakness. Everything that we're told by society is, you know what? Be your own person. Be strong. Push through all these things. And again, God's message is countercultural, saying, no, my power is perfected in your weakness. My power is perfected in your weakness. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece. That the things that are unique about you are not the things that you should be hiding. But as Paul says after that verse, is now that he, he boasts about his weaknesses. When I talk with people who, who suffer with anxiety and depression and, and all sorts of, of different things, I say, imagine being in a place where you actually say, you know what, God? Thank you for entrusting this to me, this uniqueness. Imagine finally saying, you know what? God, this is too much for me to bear and that I need your power to be perfected in my weakness. And you know what? If you can use my depression or my anxiety or my dyslexia or my anorexia or my ADHD or these aren't all mine, by the way. I'm just going through a list. Uh, You know what? Let your glory be shown through these things. And this has been my experience. That when you finally can come to a point where you say, this is, this, is, this is where God's working. That this is something that's unique to me. And if you want to talk about these things and how, what God has worked through in these things, that that is your ministry. That is is where God is going to work through you. And even though the world says you're screwed up, you're too you know, ugly, you're too bald, you're too short, you're too tall, you're, you're you know, all of these kinds of stuff that you have too much anxiety, you don't have enough anxiety, you, you need more money, you need less money, all these kind of different messages. I don't think the world tells us you need less money, but... All of these different messages. We have to step back and say, who am I going to believe? Am I going to hide these things? Or am I going to say, you know what, God? You've entrusted these things to me. And my hope and my, my challenge to you is to take a new look at the things that keep you up at night. Take a new look at the things that embarrass you, that are unique to you. And ask the question, is this a place in my life 
that God's power can be perfected. Let's pray. Dear God, I just pray for our community. I pray for the church. That you will not allow, allow us to fall victim to billions of dollars worth of advertising telling us that we have to be a certain way and a certain size and a certain look that we will embrace the truth that we are unique and beautifully made. That you knit us together in our mother's womb. And that you've entrusted us with these things so we can be your ambassadors, can, that we can show your love to a lost and hurting world. I love you, Lord. Peace be.